This is Archive Atlanta, Episode 9, Downtown Hotels, Part 2. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey guys, hope you had a great week. I finally got my cast off, and although my mobility is laughable, I will never again take showering and washing my face for granted. So I'm just enjoying the simple pleasures in life this week. I do want to give a few shout-outs to events going on this weekend. Tomorrow, which is Saturday, November 3rd, is the Downtown Atlanta Loft Tour. If you like going into other people's houses and cool lofts, this is a great event. And they haven't been doing it for, I think it was the last decade, and they've started it back up. So I'm really excited to check that out. And as I mentioned in last week's episode, it's also Chomp and Stomp, which is a very popular event in Cabbage Town. And remember, like I said, you can check out Reynolds Town and then walk over to Chomp and Stomp afterward. So my little old podcast has reached almost 600 downloads, which sounds very small, but it blows my mind and I've been really overwhelmed hearing how much people are enjoying it and especially strangers. Because it's one thing to have your mom or your boyfriend listen, but I think I fell down in shock the first time a stranger shouted out Archive Atlanta. And my hosting site gives me a lot of interesting statistics and information. Um, I can see like which states people are from. But what it does tell me is which episodes have been the most downloaded. So the current reigning champion, and he never lets up his lead, is episode three, which was part one of Downtown Hotel series. Since it was such a favorite, this week I want to release part two. And here I thought I'd be struggling to fill the Downtown Hotel story bucket, But guys, I have too much stuff to share. So let's see how this popularity continues, and we can talk about part three in the future. First today, I'm going to talk about Hotel Row. And it's not exactly one hotel, but as the name implies, it's a row of them and why they're important to Atlanta. To set the stage of where in Atlanta I'm talking about, this is a section of Mitchell Street, named for William Mitchell, who is, yes, a direct descendant of Gone with the Wind author Margaret Mitchell. But anyway, between um, Ted Turner Drive and Forsyth Street. So it's a block from the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and it's right next door to the Richard B. Russell Federal Building, which is that really tall white office building next to the dome. Or, I'm sorry, next to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. By the 1890s, the land along Mitchell Street evolves from being mostly residential to commercial. Samuel Inman, one of the country's wealthiest cotton merchants, Atlanta businessman, and yes, namesake and financial backer of Inman Park, purchases several tracts of land along the street in about 1893. The city directory in the year 1900 lists a drugstore, furniture store, boarding houses, among many other businesses that are down there. In 1903, the Atlanta Joint Terminal Company forms, and it was a conglomerate of three different railroads. Their main goal is to build a new passenger depot. So Atlanta already had a train station um, that was used, but they wanted to build something new and fancy. As you can imagine, reaction to the news of this new terminal sends land speculation prices soaring all around the site. And in 1905, the dream is realized when the new terminal station opens for passengers. It was gorgeous, huge building, Renaissance Revival style, multiple towers. If you've never seen a photo of the sadly now demolished Terminal Station, I will have one for you on the episode post on the website because it's beautiful. And the station was informally called the Gateway to the South. I mean, it was a big deal when they built it and the city of Atlanta actually held a huge grand opening party. 
Now, when you have a large amount of people arriving at something like a train station, you have to have somewhere for them to stay after their long journey. So like I said, there was an older station um, and hotels near there, but this was not in the same space, so new things popped up next to this new station. The same year the terminal station is built, Mr. Inman opens the terminal hotel. His uncle, Walker Inman, develops um, a hotel called the Childs Hotel in the same year, and then another building next door. Sadly, these early hotel buildings are all lost because there was a fire in 1908 that historians call the Terminal Block Fire. And I just want to say that if you've ever wanted to know about century-old fire in Atlanta, you can. Because there exist these incredibly detailed fire marshal reports. I mean stuff you don't even want to know, like a whole section on pumping conditions at the station. Um, but I've read a few of them, and they're incredible wells of information, and it blows my mind that these are more than 100 years old. I'm thankful for these primary sources because it really gives you idea of how bad the fire was, how it was handled, and then in the back they even have a section about recommendations so that the fire doesn't happen again. In the report for the Terminal Block Fire, they called it the Atlanta Conflagration, and that word apparently means extensive fire that destroys a great deal of land. I just think it's really dramatic, and I I like the name of it. But this terminal black fire, at 3.30 in the morning, they discovered it in the upper floors of the H.L. Schlesinger Candy Factory, and it was caused by an elevator motor. The candy factory was two blocks away from this row of hotels, but like the fire was so bad that it was a huge area. 30 buildings were destroyed in the blaze, and the destruction was the worst in Sherman, which Atlanta loves to say that every time there's a disaster, but I mean, it was really bad. It caused about $1.25 million in losses and $900,000 in insurance losses. Incredibly though, no lives were lost, and there is one building in the area that survived called Concordia Hall, which I'm going to tell you about in a minute. Rebuilding began almost immediately um, as Samuel Inman filed for a construction permit to rebuild the Terminal Hotel for the second time. Now, crazy story is that that hotel caught fire again in 1938, and this time we weren't so lucky because 34 people were killed in it. After that, it was replaced by a one-story structure that isn't considered part of Hotel Row. And when you look at the block now, there's a very obvious chunk taken out of the corner of Mitchell Street and Ted Turner Drive. And if you use your imagination, that little space held the Terminal Hotel. But if you're not imaginative, I have a historical photo for you guys on the website, and I also put it on Instagram and Facebook. The rest of the row, so five buildings to be exact, were all built between 1892 and 1908. And this was the place to stay for people arriving at the train station, but also rail workers. So things you don't think about. You know, you're working all day long on the railroad, um, and a lot of these workers would be in some of these buildings. These were what we may call three-star hotels in today's terms, so they were not competing with fancy uptown hotels. These were kind of no-frills, clean, convenient accommodations. Um, Businessmen may stay there, and there was a place to grab a bite to eat, or there were stores underneath if you needed to buy something. I'm going to go through each building one by one, kind of in sequential order. So if you're looking at the photo I posted, um, or if you just want to kind of start where the Terminal Hotel was, so Mitchell and Ted Turner Drive, we're going to skip the one-story building, and then the next building up is the Sylvan Hotel. Now the Sylvan was built in 1910 by George McCarty, and it was first called the Terminal Hotel Annex because it was right next door. Its famous retail tenant of the day was the Imperial Cafe, so that was a popular place for people to get something to eat after getting off the train. The next few buildings in a row were all built in 1908. Next door, they call it the Factory Building. 
Um, next door to that one, the third building is called the Skullville Hotel formerly the Marion Hotel, and that was named after the builder. His name was Dabney Scoville. By the way, in keeping with the Halloween spirit, believers claim that this Scoville Hotel was haunted or that the building is still haunted today. The fourth building kind of gets the short end of the naming stick because they just call it commercial building. Very uneventful. I don't think it was a hotel, but it was some kind of business. The fifth building is the Gordon Hotel, first known as Child's Hotel, which I just mentioned was built by Walker Inman um, in about 1905, and then later they called it the Princeton Hotel. Now, I've saved the grandest and the oldest for last. Concordia Hall is on the corner of Forsyth and Mitchell, and if that does not ring a bell, you may know it as the building that has the upside-down alligator mural. So that was done in 2011, um, maybe I think it was Living Walls Art Project, but a lot of, I've seen a lot of selfies in front of that, so if you're driving and that alligator sounds familiar, that's Concordia Hall. Now remember, this building barely survived the path of the terminal fire, so it's the oldest on the block. It was built in 1892 by the Concordia Association, which um, the association itself was founded in 1866 at the earliest Rich's department store, which was just down the block, Morris Rich and several other prominent Atlanta Jews wanted to form a club, mostly for German-Hungarian Jews, just to celebrate culture, enjoy the arts, play cards. I know this cultural club model really well because my parents were part of a club in New York that was for people um, from the part of Spain where they were from. So I spent much of my childhood in one of these clubs and it's not as exciting as people sound, but really is like a lot of old people playing cards. And then we would do cultural dances um, or have dinners and performances, things like that. The Concordia Association would eventually become the Standard Club in 1905, which is still in existence. And they have moved a few times. They're now in Johns Creek. After the Concordia Association used the building, um, it was used by Masonic groups. And then the Southern Railway used it as rooms for their rail workers. The street-level spaces of all of these buildings were mostly retail, and the bottom of Concordia Hall has had a very famous tenant since 1929, Friedman's Shoes. That does not sound familiar. They are famous and well-known for carrying extra, extra, extra large shoe sizes. So that makes it very popular for NBA players. And Shaquille O'Neal is actually a loyal customer. And there's some great YouTube clips I was watching. And they also did a ESPN 30 for 30, those mini documentaries. They did one on Friedman's shoes. As the automobile became more popular in Atlanta, many neighborhoods were changing and Hotel Row was no different. Everybody was kind of moving up. I mean, you could get off the train, drive your car, and not have to stay right near the station. Now, Terminal Station itself was demolished by the city in 1971. We held out for a long time, but this is one of the saddest preservation losses in the city, I think we can all agree on that, that a lot of people sort of still cry about this because it was such a beautiful building. You may be asking, why is this block important? And if you've ever wondered what early Atlanta looked like, this is pretty much it. It's the most intact row of commercial structures that was Atlanta's original business district. This is as tangible as it gets. It's not hard to picture the terminal station right where that Richard B. Russell Federal Building is now. You can even recreate the walk, right? You can get off the train, walk onto the sidewalk, book your room at one of the hotels, grab a bite at the Imperial Cafe. I mean, you can kind of trace the steps of the passengers. If you go explore the area today, you can almost sense the impending change that's coming. The new stadium 
I mean, you could spit on it. It's right behind you. And the Norfolk Southern building, which is on the other corner, is in the midst of redevelopment. The Gold Dome, you know, the Georgia Capitol is also within eyesight. I can't imagine that this area is going to stay this way for the next few years. So it's going to be really interesting to see how developers approach Hotel Row. And someone reminded me today, too, that it does have landmark designation, so it's protected in a sense, but we all know the city of Atlanta doesn't really care so much about that. The second hotel I'm going to talk about in today's show is the Imperial Hotel. And it's located in today's section of kind of the beginning of downtown. So it's the intersection of Petrie Street, Petrie Center Boulevard, and Ralph McGill. By 1900, this was considered the outermost part of the city proper. It was the edges of town. And now I consider it the entrance of true downtown. When the hotel was built in 1910, the area was switching from all residential to commercial. It was an eight-story fireproof, there's that word again, but we know the truth, thanks to the first hotel episode, and the idea was to have a moderately priced option for travelers. Again, this was not competing with fancier hotel options. The rooms at the Imperial would run you about $1.50, and if you got lucky, you could get a private bath, because about half the rooms had one. In the 1950s, a basement level was added, and it became home to several interesting businesses. One was called Joe Dale's Cellar Restaurant, and that was an Atlanta staple and supposedly one of the first restaurants to integrate um, willingly and openly welcome gay Atlantans. There was also the Copa Caprice in the early 50s and the Domino Lounge, which dominated the mid to late 50s and up until I think 1969. I was reading about the Domino, and apparently it was not exactly high-class material. Little Richard quoted that the Domino was high on his list of snake holes, rat holes, and pig pens that he played in. And there were three shows playing there every night. One always included a stripper or an exotic dancer. Though I know here you guys thought that the Claremont was the only place to see this stuff, but Atlanta has a little bit of a seedy history too. So the Domino Lounge always had... um. Really, I'm going to link a site to you guys of historical advertisements, but it's great. They have all of the exotic dancers, um, kind of like a poster to advertise that night, so you can go see. Throughout the 70s, the hotel was functioning as a flop house, and then it finally closed in 1980. It was purchased then by John Portman, who maybe sounds familiar. He designed many buildings downtown. There's a street named after him as well. But he would buy it and then almost immediately abandon it and let it fall into further disrepair. Throughout the 80s, homeless citizens of Atlanta moved in, and then in 1988, it suffers a huge fire. It was about 1990 when homeless advocates or activists broke into the hotel, climbed to the top floor, and hung a banner saying, How's the homeless here? The protest grew to about 100 people, and they were mad. They were mad about Job Portman allowing the building to get to this state. They were mad at Major Jackson, who was Atlanta's mayor at the time, for not doing enough for the city's homeless. By the time of the Olympics, around 1996, the Imperial was reopened as affordable housing, but soon went to foreclosure. It wouldn't be until 18 years later that they tried again and opened it as the Commons at Imperial Hotel. So it was affordable housing, but it also had social services, a medical clinic, and other social service kind of assistance. And this is for people coming out of homelessness. Um, a great preservation victory for the city. So seeing like, hey, we can take this building. We don't have to tear it down to build something new. We can take it and keep it and use it for something. So there you have it. 
two more hotel stories for you as you explore the city and hopefully been to parts you've never gone. If you're enjoying the podcast, let me know. Leave a review or send me a message. And if you have a topic, suggestion, or a place and people you've always wondered about, tell me because I'd love to include them in a future episode and answer your questions. Have a great weekend and see you next week.